0: Carpenter's Way. It is good to see many of you in the room or some of you in the room, and it's good not to see you online, but I know you're out there because we just, Annie and I just looked, and we are glad you're logging in today, and we hope that uh, today is encouraging. Each week it seems like we see faces I haven't seen in three months, and man is it good to see you guys back, and and, uh, we've missed you, and we love you, and we're here to encourage you, and uh, I was thinking about what announcements I could make today, but I just, I just wanted to make one general announcement, and that is God is still on the throne and all things are good. What we just sang, no matter what comes our way, God is still not worried. He's not afraid. He's not going, oh, no, oh, no, the world has a pandemic. He's not worried at all. He is good, and we can trust him, you guys. We can trust him. So trust him. Put your hope in him. I'm thankful for the time in which we live that we can still fellowship online, in the room, and we can worship the Lord together. and, and uh, So we're going to do that. One, one thing I do want to let you know from a programming point of view is starting next Sunday, we've been going on a four-week rota- rotation for each of our Bible studies once a month to come in and worship with us. We're moving it starting next Sunday to a three-week rotation. We're going to try to get more people in here. So next Sunday, uh, our Bible study classes that will be in the worship center live here with us or invited to come is John Rowan's class. Connie Rhodes and, uh, and Linda Havard's class, uh, the College Identity College, which is Sabrina and Kirby Collins' class, uh, and then the Caleb class, which is Pete Smart's class, and then uh, the Shift class. Uh, your class is invited again next week. So um, that's two weeks in a row. Bring twice as much money. But besides that, thank you for laughing. <laughs> anyway, um, hey, that's all I'm going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to turn this back to the Lord. I'm so glad You've chosen to be with us this morning. This is a message that we need in the Bible Belt, and it's pretty intense. So grab your Bibles, prepare to study the Scripture with us, prepare to worship with us, with Chad and the worship team. Thank you so much for joining us today, and let's ask God to bless us. We love you, uh, and that's all fine and good, but we're thankful you love us. And I thank you that those of us who have called on the name of the Lord, repented of our sins, and made you Lord of our lives, that we have been adopted into your family. We are the children of God, loved by God. It is now my prayer, Father, that the things of the earth would grow strangely dim as we stare at your face. Help us to look at you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If
1: you guys want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Here at home, please join us. Shelter in you, my God, and there you give me rest. You are my Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you oh and holy there is no one like you there
2: He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit.
1: God, if we've ever needed you, it's right now, God. As we look around our country, with everything that's going on around the world, and God, we just we stop and we just say, God, we need you. We need you in our country, but God, we need you personally. We need you to come in and change us. And God, we just humble ourselves. We come before you and we ask for well, that you would do, what your word says you would do. That you would change the way we think. That you would change the way we live. And we. We thank you, Lord, as we read through Romans that that you have done what the law couldn't do, that we can come before you now forgiven. We can come before you free. God, we ask, Lord, that you would change us. We ask, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out, Lord. God, it's our prayer. That's our heart. God, that you would change us. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider
0: start out a little different this morning. Let's just, uh, at, at home included, let's just, uh, you can be seated if you're standing. I can't see because of the lights, but uh, let's, let's take a moment in your homes, and uh, most of the computers logged in have more than one person sitting at them, at least during the live service. I just want to give you a chance to talk to the Lord as a family, and uh, just ask Him to speak with you this morning. I, I really believe, I, I know I say this every week, but I'll say it again this week because I think it's true. I really believe In our context in East Texas, in the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, this message this morning is very, very important to all of us, for me, to you, especially those of us who grew up in the church. Uh, And uh, I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and convict us uh, and change us, as as, uh, Chad already said, from the inside out, not the outside in, which is what often happens in the church. Uh, It's what happened in Judaism So I'm going to be quiet for a moment, and if you're in this room and you're sitting next to your your spouse, your kids, would you just take a moment to pray with them? And then at home, would you just take a moment to pray with whoever you're sitting with? And if you're alone, just bow your head and ask God to speak to you. I'm going to be quiet for about 15 or 20 seconds, and then we'll jump into our text. Dear Lord, don't let us be religious. Let us seek you. Do not let us be fooled into thinking that we are fine with you because our rhetoric says so. May the evidence of our lives be the validation that we look to, to know where we stand. And I pray, Father, that every man, woman, and child watching this morning would have ears to hear and open hearts to be transformed that if someone is watching, and I know that they are, who do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. I pray for myself this morning, Lord, that my words would be from God, and that anything that Mark says that's of his opinion, that's, uh, that's too earthly, that you just help us to forget it as we move through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, early in my ministry at Carpenter's Way, and I just uh, said, Kevin, will you put that up there for us, please? Because I, I want you to see it. I apologize in advance that it is not a good picture, but I would like to say that I looked so good that the very next week, the very next week, we had a group of bikers come to Carpenter's Way. They had caught us online, and they thought, oh, look, Lovekin has a biker church. Let's go to that church. And they showed up, and uh, yeah, why? Because I was a biker. What they didn't know is I'm not a biker. The last time I've ridden a motorcycle was high school. It was an off-road bike. Uh, I was never a biker. I remember one time, just to make the point, I was traveling with my grandparents and there was a bunch of bikers at a place we were eating dinner. And I was just a little kid and I wasn't thinking and I touched one of their motorcycles. And you know how you see in all those bad comedies, one motorcycle fall over, knock the other, knock the other? Yeah, that was me. I did that. And then my grandfather grabbed me, put me in his car and we drove off. And obviously we survived that event. But this lousy picture of that biker looking guy didn't mean I was a biker. Biker. I wore a biker's outfit. I mean, I look good in it. Don't get me wrong. I wore the outfit. I had the patches. I looked like I was ready for jail. (laughs) That was was funny. I don't mean to, I don't want to make any bikers mad. I I apologize for that last joke. Obviously, though, the point I'm making is things are not always as they appear, right? They're just not. And uh, just because you look like something doesn't mean that you really are something. And with that in mind, I want to jump into our text this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to start in verse 23 and and, and kind of work through this text with you today. And as I said a few moments ago, I believe in East Texas. This is one of the most important texts of Scripture. You'll see why at the end. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and the elders, they came up to him and they demanded, that's an important word, They demanded, by what authority are you doing all of these things? Who gave you the right? In other words, what gives you the right to raise the dead? What gives you the right, Jesus of Nazareth, to heal the sick? What right do you have? And by whose authority do you have to teach the law? You're not like us. What right do you have to enter Jerusalem a couple days ago and walk right into the Passover festivals going on, and turn over the tables. What right do you have to disrupt our religious festival that we have been doing for hundreds of years? If you do not know Jesus personally, just a side note, then it is possible if you have not personally read the scriptures, even if you've been in church your whole life, it is possible that if you have not personally read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry from the Gospels, then you might be under the misguided misconception that Jesus was a wilting flower of mushy love. I was thinking of the Phil Collins song, and I'm aging myself, groovy kind of love, because that is the Jesus that is portrayed, not just in the world, but from pulpits all over the place today. This is not the Jesus of the Bible, any more than I'm a biker. While many of the things that Jesus said were loving, the Jesus of the Scriptures, recorded by those who watched him live and minister, and they're recorded for us, times of rebuke, preaching such intense messages that after he feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children, we're talking about probably 20,000 people after he preaches to them, after he feeds them, and he goes on to preach, they abandon him, and it tells us in the text, because they said his preaching was too hard. Jesus twice, not once, but twice, turns the tables over in the temple and openly rebukes not just the religious leaders, as is often taught, but he also rebuked those that were doing business with the religious leaders, because they had abandoned the truth. Jesus openly on multiple occasions calls the religious leaders of his day a brood of vipers to their face. And while he offered to serve all mankind, whosoever would come to him, he was unwavering in his passion and commitment to the truth and his father's will and his father's plan. And he demanded, and I use that word carefully, he demanded repentance and submission And blind following, blind following, ignorant following, blind following of those who claim to be his followers. Jesus unapologetically said this as recorded for us in John 14 6. And while in the church, this is looked at as a wonderful verse, these are fighting words. This was putting, this was putting, a biblical knife in the heart of the religious leaders. Jesus is saying to them, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to my Father except through me. And that was the conversation among the Jews of that day. How do we get to the kingdom? Tell us, you know, when's the kingdom coming? Remember, we discussed that just a few weeks ago. The question was, how do we enter your kingdom? And Jesus, in response to that in John 14, is saying, I'm the way. And this isn't the only place. You know that Jesus referred to himself as actually the gate. And anybody who were part of God's worldly kingdom, anybody who claimed to be Jewish and a child of Abraham that had not entered the family of God through Jesus, the gate, actually he calls them thieves and liars. So much for our wishy-washy, you know, a, a tie-dye wearing Jesus whose fingers are up in the peace sign all the time. A classic example of this is how we look at the birth of Christ. Those Christmas cards that I refer to you at least once a year that has the silhouette of Jerusalem or Bethlehem over it and the star of of David coming down on the stable. And it says, peace on earth. You realize the other half of that sentence isn't even in it, which needs to be in it. The scripture actually says, peace on earth to those upon whom God's favor rests. Right now, we're hearing a modern version of that. In an effort, in an effort to get people to love one another, especially in the church, there is false teaching going around that the reason you should love people of all colors, races, socio and economic statuses, and even sexual orientation is thrown into there. The reason you should love them is because we're all God's children. That's a lie. We're not all God's children. We are all God's creation. And because of that, we all have value. Of all of God's creation, his favorite creation was man. It was the one thing he didn't speak into existence, but he actually got on his knees and he, he formed man from the dust of the ground and he leaned over and breathed life into him. Saved people and unsaved alike. And that gives them value because God values them. But to, to, to expand that into all being God's children is an, is, is an offense to the gospel. You understand that for for. 14 years, 15 years, we've been talking about this. The purpose of Jesus coming was not to keep you out of hell. The purpose to Jesus coming was to make you adoptable. Ephesians 1.5 says his unchanging plan was to adopt us into his family. And he had to make us pure and holy in order to do that. So he sent Jesus to do that, to die on the cross. Hell is like, heaven is like a benefit. Not being judged is a benefit of being forgiven. It's a benefit of being God's child. It's not the point. And the danger of teaching that we're all God's children is to nullify the need of the gospel. Because if you say God wants, if you want the real gospel, it is God wants to adopt you into his family. Well, why do I need to be? I'm a child of God. I heard a pastor say it last week. Or people saying it on the news. It's simply not true. We are not all the children of God. And the book of Galatians is all about that. And so is Romans. And I mentioned this last week. Romans over and over says that just because you're a child of Abraham does not mean you are a child of Jehovah. The difference is one has bowed the knee to God through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody, not a nice person, not a good person, not a religious person, not a moral person, comes to the Father except through me. And those are fighting words. Those are are the words that will get us in trouble as we get closer to the return of the Lord. It's not negotiable. Just as we talked last week, just as we talked last week, like the Jews on Palm Sunday, everybody loves the Jesus that heals, feeds, and helps hurting people. Everybody loves him. But the Jesus who demands repentance of our sin in order to be saved and adopted, that if we want to follow him, we are required to put our selfish ambition aside, pick up our cross and follow him, If we are going to be faithful to Him, it is not about church attendance, but being the church, which is a big debate today. If we want to truly be faithful men and women of God, it's done as the result of giving up your life. And that's a hard thing to swallow. Nobody wants to give up their life. I don't want to give up my life because I think I can handle it better. It it is in me, in my flesh, to think that God doesn't understand what's going on. So my prayers often sound like He's ignorant. Dear God, I don't think you understand. If all of a sudden the world does this, then it's going to affect me this way, and I know you don't want that for my life. And God sits up there and goes, maybe I do want that for your life. Maybe that's my plan for your life. I don't want that to be your plan for my life. I don't remember asking you if you needed to understand the plan for your life. But see, sometimes, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm going to get into this text, I promise. But sometimes, I want to set this up. Unfortunately, what we have done is, and we, as churches, is we have walked away the teaching of Scripture and walked into thematic, self-help, self-centered, man-centered messages from pulpits where we take a verse to validate what we're saying instead of pointing people to Jesus. The word of God, every page, every word points us to God, every bit of it, even the stuff you don't understand. It points us to God. Much of the preaching today points us to you, even in how you've got to fix your life, how you get better, how, what it looks like to be a Christian, not let the government overrule you, blah, 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 blah. it's all about you, what you want. You realize when you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life to Christ. I mean, you gave your life to Christ. When Jesus said you must be born again, he meant reborn. Out of this into that. Everything changed. But but we live in a time, just like the Jews, in their time, where we're trying to marry our wants with the plans of God. And they don't marry. They don't marry. All right, here we go. Matthew 21, verse 23. Let's start over. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and the elders came up to him. They demanded, so now you know the attitude, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you'll answer one question for me, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. Now picture this. So this is a conversation going on and when Jesus rebuts their question with a question which he's really good at doing, they actually leave the conversation for a moment and begin discussing among themselves and look what they care about. Now don't just read the words because this really isn't about the conversation. This is about what's in their hearts. So they step to the side and they begin talking among themselves. If we say it's from heaven, he's gonna ask us why we didn't believe or follow John. But if we say John was merely human, we're going to be mobbed because these people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know, which, by the way, is a lie. You see, they weren't very good at keeping the Ten Commandments that they taught everybody else to keep. One of those is don't bear false witness. They bore false witness. They lied because their one intention was not to find out what God taught. They weren't coming to Jesus to discover what he believed or where he came from or by what authority he he was doing these things. They just wanted to discredit him. Why? Because of the crowd. That was their passion. That was their thought. That's what they wanted. And I'll show you a little later when Jesus points that out. But it's important that you see that these religious leaders did not ask Jesus this question in search for truth having seen his supernatural power and heard his message when he turned the tables over a couple days before. The morning of this conversation, they had been watching him teach in the temple. Jesus was there teaching. And they had they had just, uh, they, were, they were reeling from watching him turn the tables over. They were not in awe of him, him, wanting to figure out what authority he was from. They wanted to fight with him. They wanted Jesus to Uh, the Messiah, the healer, the resurrector, the friend of sinners, the son of God, the Messiah, the king of kings, to be on their team. They had no interest in joining his. There wasn't an ounce of their energy that wanted to follow Jesus. They were ready to take him on and take him down. Before Jesus had even uttered any words in his ministry years, now let's go back to the conversation what Jesus brings up John. Before one word is ever uttered during the ministry years out of Jesus's mouth, Jesus sent somebody to proclaim him, to set the path. John the Baptist, that's who he was. He was a herald, like, like in old England. Uh, hear ye, hear ye, the king. If you watch the State of the Union address, the United States has an official herald. Every time the president walks in to uh, the Senate and the House to do a national presentation, there is a herald who walks in and he says, I present to you, Madam president or whoever's on the podium, the president of the United States. In other words, this is the guy who's going to speak to us. We got to listen to what he has to say. That's John's job. And one of the things that John said, the baptizer, about Jesus is that guy is going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he endorses Jesus as the guy he has been heralding. So Jesus connects himself to John's teaching. And the crowd obviously loved John. The Pharisees realized that Jesus was the one that John had referred to as the coming Messiah who would remove sin. So they're in trouble. If they admit John is from God, and then they are admitting Jesus is God's son. But if they reject him, their worst fears come to fruition. They lose their crowd, which is all they cared about. Maintaining, and I, this is my thought, it's just Mark's, but I hear all the time they wanted power. I don't think they wanted power. They wanted to protect the way of life for a Jew. They were committed to Judaism. These were not evil people. They were right-wing conservative theologians of their day. You have to understand that. These aren't New Testament Christians. These are Old Testament Jews. They were fighting to keep their way of life, and Jesus was a threat to their way of life. Jesus went against everything in their flesh, Jesus demanded that they humble themselves. Everything that their flesh told them to do, Jesus did opposite, including two days before or one day before when Jesus leads a parade, heralding him as king of kings. He leads them not to where Rome's headquarters are, uh, turning over the tables of the centurion guard. He leads them into the Jerusalem headquarters, the heart of hearts of Judaism, and he rebukes not just the, the, the leaders, but the worshipers. Jesus was a problem for the Jewish way of life. So while we all know Pharisees, Jewish leaders, bad, it's not like that. These were good if you were a Jew. They fought for the things that you valued. They set up a kingdom that, you, that would allow you to do what you wanted to do as a Jew. The problem was to be a follower of Jesus, God's son, you have to put off what you want to do and follow him. It hasn't changed. More on that in a little while. Just a warning: <clears throat> these Jewish religious leaders were not interested in finding truth, as I've said. Only defending. Pay attention, my uh, my belt of the bu- buckle of the Bible belt, Christian friend. These Jewish leaders were only interested in defending their own traditional ideals, perceptions. The doctrines that they had become accustomed to and their religion. They refuse to answer Jesus because they're not interested in dialoguing with Jesus, they're interested in shutting him up. A warning never, ever, 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 ever go to Scripture to defend your point of view. If you use it out of context to prove your point of view, the end of Revelation says that you'll be sent to hell. Oh, what if I'm a Christian? Just that's what it says. If you misuse, if you add or take away to the Scripture, then all of the things that happen in Revelation, all of those judgments, including eternal judgment, will be on your shoulders. To misuse Scripture to validate your preconceived ideas is very, very dangerous. Not only might it cost you your soul, but it's a lie. And the church, the Baptist church, does that all the time. Many of the racism issues we have today is because the evangelical church through history has misused scripture to prove unbiblical, but their own preconceived ideas. And we've done it over and over and over again to validate our feelings. You go to scripture, not to validate what you think, but to discover what is true. And if what you face and read in Scripture daily counters what you think to be true, it is not the Scriptures that are wrong. And I'm not saying you read one verse and change your mind. Study, study the context, what's going on. Then meet with people and talk about it. That's why we have Bible studies. Get together with people and wrestle through the scriptures. Listen to what other people have to say. Go and talk to a shepherd, somebody you trust biblically. Don't read a book. There's a book for every taste and desire. Talk to somebody whose life you you respect, who walks with God and understands the scriptures. Go and study with them. And once you have found out you're wrong, walk away from what you think because the word of God is final authority. These people were not seeking truth. Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead and all the religious leaders went, whoa, we better take a second look at Jesus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They've seen him heal the sick, make the blind see, make the lame walk, all things prophetically taught they find out he's from Nazareth, they find out he's born in Bethlehem, all things prophetic scripture has taught. And instead of saying, we need to relook at Jesus from a scriptural point of view, they say, we got to kill this guy. Even the high priest, even the high priest actually says, it is good for one man to die rather than the whole nation. In other words, I'm not going to let all Jewish tradition and things we value go down because of Jesus. We're going to kill him. Be careful, my nationalistic friend. Be careful, because your soul is not worth America. God has allowed his children to live in very difficult times throughout the history of the church. We have been blessed for 260 years to live like this. And if it comes to an end, God has not left his throne and he is not punishing you. He is enacting your purpose for humanity. Be hopeful. Be joyous. Don't make God change to make you happy you changed to please him. Because they were not seeking truth but to defeat Jesus, and because Jesus had them in a no-win situation, they refused to answer his question. And because they refused to answer his question, he did not answer their initial question of, what gives you the right to do the things and teach the things you've been teaching? Jesus isn't done, though. He continues, verse 28. But what do you think about this? So next subject, fellas. What do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, if you think Jesus is sweet all the time, buckle up. A man with two sons had a, uh, told the older boy, son, go out and work the vineyard today. The son said, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father went to the other son. You go then, he said. Yes, sir, I'll go. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? The religious leaders replied, well, the first did. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Okay, have you read this too many times? That's like fighting words. I'm going to save a prostitute and a tax collector before I save you. Whoa. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw all of this happening, raising the dead, preaching the truth, doing all the things, making the sick well, fulfilling the old prophecies, all the stuff that you teach, when you saw all of this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Put my picture back up there. Please. There I am. Biker Mark. You can laugh. It's ridiculous. But I looked good, apparently. I didn't know how good I looked. But I'm not a biker. I just looked like a biker. And just because you look like a biker, just because you dress like a biker, just because you can identify a motorcycle doesn't make you a biker. What makes you a biker is you ride motorcycles. I don't ride motorcycles. I mean, if you gave me one, I'd learn to ride it in the parking lot, probably. But I'm not a biker. And these religious leaders weren't righteous men. They looked like righteous men. They made money off of the people who gave tithes. They wore the the, uh, cloaks and the garments of it. They studied the Bible, the scriptures. They claimed to be men of God, and gosh, they, they could preach to their Jewish audience like you wouldn't believe. They looked so smart. They looked so religious, but they weren't even saved. Because while they had heard John preach of a Savior coming, while they had heard and seen Jesus preach of repentance and salvation from sin, while they had seen him raise the dead, they refused to repent. They refused to bow the knee. Maybe James was right when he wrote this in James 1, 19-27. And I really, 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 really want some of you to listen to this. Because this is Scripture within context. Especially at this time in history. Listen to this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, uh uh-oh, You're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but you can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Again, let me read that again. If you claim to be religious or righteous or a follower of God, but you can't control your tongue or you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 1 John 2.4 says that those who claim to be in Christ but don't live like Christ are actual liars. So I just want to take a second and, and say something to my Carpenter's Way family. This has been a weird three months. And no, we have not been meeting in here but for the last seven weeks, I think, in different groups and small groups. And I want you to know that I have been so impressed with how many of you maintain ministry. You haven't stopped. You've discipled your children. You've gotten to know neighbors. You've actually sent me notes asking who you can help in our congregation and we've sent you to help them. There's been people of need and you've gone out of your way to help them. You've brought food to people. You've ministered. Our children's ministry staff, many of them have been making videos to help our families disciple their kids. Your giving, which is part of service, has been phenomenal. And I want to thank you. But that's kind of how it's supposed to be. You see, it isn't the programming of the church that makes us the church. We are the church. The reason we come together is not to have church. We have church every time two or three are gathered together, which includes your wife or your kids satan is not winning satan lost on the cross we're just reminding him and telling as many people as we can we can't lose this one if we are hidden in christ and i want to encourage you that i have been blessed beyond belief and that includes jeff and alicia and julie and the rest of the staff at your faithfulness to serving the lord for those of you who haven't been that's not on the programming of the church that's a heart problem between you and god That's what he's talking about here. That's what James is talking about. To be clear, James isn't isn't saying that people are saved by how they live. They're saying that you're not gonna enter the kingdom of God like the prostitutes and the sinners do because their hearts were radically changed by grace, mercy, and forgiveness. You're not changed by a good message on the fruit of the Spirit. Listen again to that, Galatians 5. When When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, The results are very clear. Now, before I read on, because I read this all the time, this is not a description on things to avoid. This is actually helping you to look in a mirror and saying, Whose am I? Do I belong to God or not? And apparently, Paul in Galatians 5 feels like you can evaluate your spiritual walk based upon how you live, not your words. The results are very clear if you follow the desires of sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, it's what I want, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, And other sins like these. This isn't a litmus test of check off the box and stop doing these things. He's describing a heart that doesn't belong to the Lord. Look what he says. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, anybody who lives that sort of life won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. You don't have to fake this. He produces it as you surrender control of your life to Him. Love. Church, If you are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you're going to love people no matter what color they are or socioeconomic. You don't have to like them, but you will have a heart of empathy and compassion because that's the Holy Spirit in you. Joy. Joy. Even in the face of persecution. Joy. Because your joy is not based upon your eyes. Your joy is based upon the one whose your eyes are on. You find joy because you are now looking at life from God's perspective. And the goal of God's life for you is not to live, but to live to the honor and glory of the King and then go home. We have a church today, in, in, in the Bible Belt especially, and Christendom in the West, that is so self-seeking from its moral compass to its its, its, its demand demands, we act like the church, when in reality, we are the ones to be radically different. We are swimming upstream. And as we swim upstream and people look at you and go, why do you live like that? You tell them, because I don't live for my own. I've been bought with a price. The Holy Spirit guides and directs me. And while my flesh is drawn to that, I'm going to trust the Lord with it. Well, well, aren't you, gonna, aren't you afraid that the chips may fall in a way you don't want them to? Absolutely, I'm afraid of that. But my God is bigger than my fear. There's nothing wrong with being in a democratic republic. There's nothing wrong with that. A, 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 nothing wrong with voting. But if you're putting your hopes into Donald Trump winning again, seriously, Donald Trump? I think he's done some great things as president. But he needs another beer. That guy, I'm just kidding, facetious, just a joke. The truth is he's not a godly man. I don't care how many Bibles he holds upside down in front of the church that Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation in. Did you notice it was upside down? Look, I appreciate what he's doing, but he is not my Messiah. He's not my Messiah. Well, aren't you afraid of the chips falling where they may? They never fall out of place when my daddy's on the throne. Might I die or be arrested or have to find another way to make a living? Yeah, I don't want to do any of those, but I might. That's actually what I signed up for. Actually, that's exactly what the New Testament teaches. My Bible Belt Christian friends, the the difference between in this text in Matthew 21 between the religious leaders that are arguing with Jesus over what authority has to do this and a prostitute and a tax collector was not their claims. It was that the the, the prostitute and the tax collector. They repented while the religious leaders did not. And I've got to tell you what repentance is not. To To repent of sin, it does not mean you merely feel bad about it. It does not mean you feel sorry you got caught. Everybody feels sorry when they're caught. To be truly repentant means you admit to God there's a problem, that it offends Him, the things you do and like. You admit your guilt before Him, and then you turn away from it. You don't just say, that's just how I am. This comes from a lot of pain. Well, I wish I were more kind to people, but you don't understand my story. None of those are in here, because God's not asking you to act nice. He's telling you that the fruit of the Spirit's control in your life is kindness. And my fear in teaching this is that we'll have two different groups of people. Some are going to say, so you do believe in salvation by works. I absolutely do not, but I do believe salvation does work. And when you get saved, according to Romans, the difference between a saved and an unsaved person is the Holy Spirit's presence in us. And if he's in us, there's fruit and evidence that he's in us. There is things that happen. That happen. They happen because he's there, not because you decide for them to happen. He changes you from the inside out. If you are religious and you decide to be religious morally, you will become angrier and angrier as the world spins darker and darker. And Scripture tells us it's going to get darker and darker. We should have been ready for this. And Lord knows I've tried to prepare you for a day like today. I've been telling you for all these years it's coming. It's coming. Your mother told you it was coming. Your grandfather the Baptist pastor told you it was coming. And they told you, make sure you don't vote for the mark of the beast and take it. It's coming. That may come next week. Bring it on, baby. Let's go home. Seriously. Do you realize how good it gets for us after it gets bad? It's going to get bad, then it's going to get good. It's going to get really bad. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, it's going to get bad, bad, and then you'll go home before it gets bad, bad, bad. If you believe in a mid-trib rapture, it's going to get bad, 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 and then you get to go in the middle. If you don't believe in a little tribulation period, it's just going to get really, really, really gnarly. But the good news is, we go home. We go home, with or without our heads. He'll re- make us a new one, and mine won't have a big golden tooth in the front. <laughs> Only eight of you watch that video, apparently. I- I'm serious. Family, this is a hopeful time for us. This is time for those of you with young kids to say, Jesus is coming back, and it may be in your lifetime you're going to sound just like your grandfather, but maybe you'll be right Actually, they've always believed that. When we get to Acts 1, do you remember what the disciples are doing when the Holy Spirit sends an angel back down to tell them to go to Jerusalem, waiting for him to return? That's that's not my favorite story. I say that about a different story every week. But guys, this is hopeful for us. Unless, of course, you're grumpy and angry and always mad. Then this should terrify. Actually, I'm going to say it. Please plug your children's ears for just a second. I'm waiting. Plug your kids' ears. This should scare the H-E double uh, sticks out of you. I can't even spell this morning. This should scare the devil out of you. And it's supposed to scare the devil out of you. We're not supposed to make you feel better about being an angry Christian. There's no such thing as an angry Christian. And that's what's dangerous about the Bible Belt because we've wrapped ourselves in the flag. And I'm a conservative. I I have a way I want this election to go. And I'm very nervous about it going the wrong way. And I think it's going to affect me greatly. Let the chips fall where God wants them to. But I'm going to vote, and I'm going to push you to vote, and then after the vote's over, I'm taking Julie to lunch if we go in the morning or dinner, and we're going to remember that God's got this because God is good all the time, all the time. And these people didn't know that because they didn't believe in God. They had a form of religion where God kind of started it. I've said this before, where God is, is prominent, the God of Abraham. These guys talked about the God of Abraham. He is our God, but he's left us to make sure people honor the God of Abraham. I'm here to tell you that God came for them, not the religious leaders, but even the people. They should have been walking with him on their own. Every little boy that was Jewish grew up learning Hebrew so that he could read the Torah. They could have known. And you grew up in the church, and you know these truths, and it's time to start living them. Back to our text. A man has two sons. I love it. And Jesus says, uh, which one? Take note, in case you think I'm making this up, one son says, I'm not doing your work, and he goes out and does it. The second son goes, oh, I'm going to do your work, but doesn't do it. Which one pleases him? The prostitute. The one who says, I don't need God. I need God. Not the religious leader who goes, I need God, and so do you, and drinks a beer in the back. Whatever, whatever he does. And you all know that that's the problem with pastors today and parishioners. We claim one thing on Sunday and we do something different on Monday, which is why we don't need Sunday. Maybe we should live it all the time. How about that? How about God shaking up the church where, where Christianity is no longer a, a Sunday, Wednesday thing? It's an everyday thing or a nothing at all. This is, okay, back to the text so I can get out of trouble. Difference between prostitutes and religious leaders? is prostitutes repent and believe, and they refuse to. Again, to try to make this as clear as I can, what these Jewish religious leaders wanted was a nationalistic, traditional, historical Jewish religion without God in control. That's what they wanted. They wanted a man-empowered, man-centered, self-help religion. And if you doubt this, I refer you back to First and 2 Samuel where they demand a human king over and over and over. And they're warned by Samuel that if you get a human king, he's going to mislead you. And you remember what they said? Even so, we want a man. They pushed God away. Jesus wasn't done though. Matthew 21, verse 33. Now listen to another story, Jesus said. You would think that they'd walk away hating his stories. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, and it's about to get really personal. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop, his payment. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, verse 37 says, the owner sent his son thinking, surely they'll respect my son. But the tenant farmers uh, saw his son coming and they said to each other, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and then we'll get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and they murdered him. Do you see it? See what Jesus is doing right there? This, this parable is the story of the Jewish nation. God had sent vineyard. The vineyard, according to Isaiah 5, is the nation of Israel. He had sent harvesters by the name prophets and priests to, to warn the nation, come back to God, come back to God. And what do they do? They kill them. They arrest them. They beat them. And finally, God sends Jesus to warn them. And what are they going to do? They're going to kill him. Verse 40, When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked these men, what do you think he's going to do to the farmers? The religious leaders replied, well, he'll put the the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read the scriptures that says this? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. For those of you who think Jesus is a shrinking violet, Listen to this. I tell you, Jesus, talking to these religious leaders, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. He's referring to the spiritual nation he's about to build, us, the kingdom of God, who are saved by, by Christ and inhabited by the Holy Spirit. They will be given to a nation that produces proper fruit, anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. Jesus is the center of the message and if he or our teaching, if Jesus or his teaching becomes a problem for you, you will be crushed. My friends living in 2020, if you don't like what God is doing in the world, if you don't like the fruit of the Spirit, if you don't like his task of sending you as a messenger of reconciliation, you are among those Christians that will be crushed by God. How can a Christian be crushed? Because they're not saved. Just because you dress like a Christian on Sundays, you go to church on Wednesdays, you pray with your family at dinner, doesn't make you any more a follower of Jesus than wearing a biker outfit makes me a biker. I just look like it. And the only way, according to the New Testament, according to Jesus... And according to Paul, that that you know if you're a child of God, it's the fruit of your life. If you live in division, if you live in hate, if you live in bitterness and rages of anger, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. If you live in peace, love, joy, hope, if that overcomes that, that rage, it's the Holy Spirit that's talking to you. It is how you live that tells whether or not you're saved. I know that's not very Baptist, Because a lot of us are depending on when we walked an aisle at six years of age, or went to VBS, or our grandfather's a Baptist pastor, or we're a member of a church, or we haven't missed Sunday school for many, many years. And none of those things are listed in Scripture as evidence of salvation. None of them. The evidence of salvation is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and long-suffering. That's the evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit's presence and the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not where they attend on Sunday morning. It is whether or not the Holy Spirit is leading, is in control, is living within you. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. When the leading priest, verse 45 said, and the Pharisees heard the parable and how he ended it, they realized he was telling a story against them. They were the wicked farmers, to which all God's people said, duh. And what is their response? Look at that. (laughs) Why am I laughing? Okay, that's a really good question. It was a weird laugh. You know why it's a weird laugh? Because if Jesus walked into this room and looked at, at, and walked up to you today, Tony, and he said, Tony, you're missing the mark. I know you, Tony, you would bow the knee. You'd repent. So would I. But see, that's the difference between a prostitute who's saved and a religious person who's not. A religious person tries to rationalize God's teaching as false. That's what you do. You just want to remake the story. But a person who has a relationship with God and and church attendance and church involvement is a side of what you and God have, when you realize that God is not pleased with your life, you fall on your face, but not these guys. They wanted to arrest him. But they were too afraid of the crowds and con- who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Oh my gosh. Not only have they not repented, but when Jesus points out that they haven't repented, they still don't repent. Why? Because they don't want Jesus. They want a right-wing, conservative, traditional, historical, Protection of everything Jewish. What about you? What about us? In 2020, are we really, really, is the most important thing we do maintain a traditional right wing conservative East Texas Bible Belt Christianity that looks like Sunday and Wednesday? Or are we ready to springboard into the future for whatever God asks of us? I want to follow Him. I like Sunday mornings with everybody here, but I'm not losing sleep over everybody not being here. You're watching online. And if you're not, it's because you're not interested. Walk with God, follow Jesus, please disciple your children and your grandchildren. Nothing's changed. And the whole Hebrews 10 thing, let us not forsake the gathering together, you realize that the New Testament church met under trees once in a while. They met as small groups on a regular basis. It wasn't once a week. Sometimes it was more than once a week. They would gather on Sundays often to sing together. But as far as mass groups, they met once a month or every couple months or when it was safe to do so. It wasn't like we've got it. This is a Western view of Christianity. You see, Christianity isn't what we do together. It's what we do alone. And because of the Holy Spirit, it draws us together. We're a family because of God's work, not because of our decisions and the Constitution of the United States. I'm glad I can do this without being afraid of being shot, but I'm still going to do it next week if they threaten to shoot me. I'm just going to put Jeff in front of me. I mean, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to die. I'd like to get to be an old man with my grandkid growing up and my kids living in this fruitful, wonderful democracy unless this country continues to claim to be Christian and don't know God. I, I, I don't mean to offend you. I love the East Texas. Julie and I and Annie and Zach and Hannah love Texas, but I got news for you. I think there's a lot of people here in the Bible Belt here in East Texas that think they know Jesus, and they do not. They know church. They know Baptist. They know assemblies of God, but they don't know Jesus. How can you say that? Because they're angry all the time. They're angry right now. And I'm not saying it's not okay to, to take a governmental stand, but your words matter. If you win one political argument and you alienate one soul while doing it, you have lost the discussion. The truth is that people are going to hell, whether they live in communist China or the United States, and do we not care about their souls more than we care about our comfort? Well, I want to go to church that has child care. Okay, go find one. I mean, it's dangerous. I want, I want, I want. And it's not new. I want a church that sings hymns. I want a pastor that preaches like this. I want an uplifting message. I want a message that makes me feel convicted. Who cares what you want? I thought this was about Jesus. That's exactly what the Jews are saying. We want a Messiah like Moses. You hated Moses. Yeah, but that was way back then. Now we love Moses. We want a Messiah that will give us a better Jerusalem. We want blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to give you what you want. Now the prostitute, she wants forgiveness and freedom. I'm going to give her that. Do you see how dangerous all of this is? And God has given us this incredible moment in 2020 to reevaluate why we do what we do and who we really are. He's given us this amazing time. Brothers and sisters, don't run to Carpenter's Way. Run to Jesus, please, 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 please. If you want Jesus to end this message, I'm going to let him. Luke 9. Put it on the screen for every TV and read it yourselves in this room. If anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, pretty clear, you must turn away from your selfish ways. But pastor, pastor, my selfish ways are better for the community. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I know it's hard. If it wasn't, everybody would be followers. And Jesus said the road is narrow. Yeah, but, but that's just talking about people in Africa. No, it's talking about America. Us. All of us. Follow Jesus. I, I like I like that you like me. I, I I like that. Some of you don't. That's okay. I mean, it hurts my feelings because I'm a very likable person. Ask my grandson. But I really want you to like Jesus. I want you to like His plan. I want you to trust Him. I want you to find hope and joy in Him, and I want you to tell everybody else that's freaking out that there is hope in the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father God, wow. This was the second major nail in your coffin. After you told this to the religious leaders, it is unbelievable to me that they did not bow the knee, that they didn't repent, that they didn't say, okay, let's talk, teach us more. It tells us that what they did was they got together and decided to do away with you. This was it, turning point. Now they're going to arrest you, and you knew it. But Father, what, man, what a parallel to the time in which we're living We like America. We love this country. We love our flag, and we're so thankful for those, Father, who have died so that we can worship in freedom. Thank you for them, Father. Thank you for those who have served in the military. Thank you for the wisdom that you gave to our founding fathers to set up a country, a a democratic republic. But may we not worship America. May we not pledge allegiance to a flag more than we pledge allegiance to Jesus. May you be our higher calling. And may the souls of somebody on, an, on the other side of the political spectrum be more important to us than their vote. Father God, I pray for us. May none of us be deceived into thinking just because we wear the garments that we are saved. I pray that as we look in the mirror, we would see clearly whether we are led by the Spirit or not. I, I thank you for your conviction you gave me this week as I studied because it's easy to fake this. But may I not be fake. May the things that people see be the fruit of the Spirit. And may I walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray that for my flock. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Keep your air conditioning on.
1: of